pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel. And joining me for this week's episode, I have Scott Bailey, ace sports reporter from AAP. How are you, Bales? I'm awake. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it after a night of origin last night. Well, well, I stole that introduction from our old friend Maccabic, and I can tell you what, that he would not be at a podcast the day after the state of origin. Yeah, look, I think uh, my best cricket reference right now would be the fact that I would compare New South Wales to South Africa, just... Some serious choking. That's about all I've got for cricket after a week and a half of origin. Good on you, Bales. Now, we have a special guest this week. Naomi Stallenberg has played one T20 international for the Australian women's cricket team and was part of the Sydney Thunder's title-winning WBBL side from the first Women's Big Bash League. Welcome to the show, Naomi Stallenberg. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's great Thanks to be so here. much for coming on. Are you aware that I'm a Sixers fan, though? Oh, it's okay. I'll let it go. <laughs> good, good, good. You're actually replacing Lisa Stalaker, who was an ex-Sixers player. So we're, we're evening things up now. It's all right. She's in commentary now. She's in a good place. <laughs> yeah, she's over in the Women's World Cup. Now, this is a special show because we've got Naomi here. We're going to be previewing the Women's World Cup. And then we're also going to have a bit of a chat with Naomi about her experiences on the women's domestic scene. But before we get into all that, I just wanted to touch on the Australian squad to Bangladesh that was announced. So, Bales, I'm going to start with you. The current travel status for civilians to go to Bangladesh is that the Department of Foreign Affairs say that you should reconsider travel to Bangladesh, which means there are serious and potentially life-threatening threats that make the destination unsafe for tourism and unsuitable for most travellers. So, Bales, do you think this Australian team is going to go with, if that's the message from the Department of Foreign Affairs? Yeah, I mean, if history's anything to go by, it's probably looking less likely that they will go um, based on that alone. You know, if the Department of Foreign Affairs is recommending that Australians avoid travelling there, then it's safe to say that the Australian cricket team certainly falls into that model. And I guess it's not just the Australian cricket team too. There's all the support staff that go around that. Travelling media, I could potentially be one of the ones heading there. Um, you know, from that end, it's... We're not worried about you as much. Well, I know. I let's am. be honest. Well, I'll, I'll, Nick I'll, Steve Smith and David Warner. I was just thinking, I might have to a little bit more valuable. Time is money, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I think it's probably looking less likely from that angle that they will be heading there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the announcement of the squad was a little bit of a show. It's, it's all about doing the right things to appease the world. After England went there and played some one-day cricket last year, I think they had to they have to show the intention to go to make the rest of the world happy. What do you think, Naomi? Do you, do you go to a place like that right now? Um, well, I think with a lot of the things happening around the world at the moment, I think the the world can be a scary place wherever you go. So I think if they're going to a place like Bangladesh where there has been history of problems before I think they will probably be quite hesitant I think it's disappointing that that's a fact you know that Bangladesh is missing out on a good showcase of cricket and Um, they're doing so well as well yeah exactly and you know with the way that cricket's going you know it's growing every single day I think it's disappointing but I think they do have to have ensure a lot of safety for their players so if if they're not going to go then I think that's the best option yeah exactly and with that squad that was announced there's a couple of notable exclusions Mitchell Stark is out due to injury 
Stephen O'Keefe has been left left out. Both marshes haven't been selected. And Marcus Stoinis, who was the late all-rounder for the Indian tours, not there. Included, James Pattinson comes back into the squad after taking 28 wickets at an average of just above 10 in his current county stint. And you've also got Hilton Cartwright, who has come back into the squad after being picked for the last test of the summer against Pakistan. I guess, do you guys have any problems with the squad that's been announced? The way they've rested Mitch Sharp, because it was noted that, you know, he's obviously got some issues ahead of the Ashes, but, you know, he'll play the Indian One Day series. For mine, that's a concern that they're prioritising prioritizing an Indian One Day series ahead of a Test series. I mean, Test cricket is the pinnacle of our sport. You know, I don't think Australia is in a position where you can tank Bangladesh lightly. I mean, we have... Well, I think it's more an issue about Stark's fitness. But then... I mean, if he's still got this recurring foot problem, then... Uh, it's something that we're going to have to manage, and he's the leader of our attack. But why Why are we saying we'll rest you for a test series, but we'll happily play you in a one-day series against India? I know there's less workload in one-day cricket. But the, the one-days are after the test series, so that extra time might allow him to get better. There's an argument there's extra time between the rest between Bangladesh and the start of the Ashes series, but isn't there? I guess. Uh, I don't know. But having said that, it's a good opportunity to see uh, Cummins, Pattinson, and Hazelwood together. That's something we haven't had a chance to see, and that's certainly very exciting. Hilton Cartwright's an interesting one. He's definitely got the credentials as a batsman. As a young, explosive, top-order batsman, he seems to have it. But his bowling is the concern for me. I don't know if he's actually a a test all-rounder. I think he might be more a batsman that could bowl you just a few overs if you really need it. Is Smith going to use him? Like, let's say he plays in bat six. Would he bowl anyway? I mean, we saw with Smith over the summer and in... Uh, India that we pick an all-rounder, let's say, at number six, and they're not bowling anyway. So what difference does it make? We're better off picking our best number six batsman. If Hilton Cartwright fits that mould, then, yeah, he deserves his spot in the team, but not as an all-rounder. He was second on the Shield run scorers last summer, and he now averages over 50 at first-class level. So Hilton Cartwright's got the credentials. Did you see him over summer, Naomi? Yeah, I watched a fair bit of the highlights from um, a a lot of the Shield games, and I, I liked what I saw. I think he was pretty unlucky with in and out of the Australian team. But, you know, if he's gotten the opportunity in this upcoming tour, then I think that's great for him. If he's there as an all-rounder, I, my personal opinion, I think all-rounders win games. So if that's... Why is that? <laughs> I just think if you've got some of the best all-rounders in the world, then you're going to come out on top if they can it do... It does give you depth, doesn't it? Yeah, well, if looking at the squad, I'm pretty sure that everyone in this team can bat all the way down to, you know number 12 so I think it's great that they're trying to pick those kind of plays because if you've got the choice between a three-dimensional player compared to a two then you're going to probably pick that three for that extra option people are talking about James Pattinson's batting giving him raised review rave reviews lately hinting that he could bat as high as six or seven in a, a first class or test lineup which I think might be a bit high but it goes to your point Naomi that if you have depth in your batting order it allows more flexibility I still think Marcus Stoinis was very unlucky mm. to miss out on this squad because I think his bowling is better than Hilton Cartwright's and I think if you go to Bangladesh you want that number six to be able to bowl a few medium paces and as you say give depth and flexibility to the captain so I think he was unlucky. What do you think of Stoinis Bales? Yeah, I think his bowling would have suited Bangladeshi conditions as well. So it would have um, would have been interesting. But having said that, I guess that he still hasn't had a, a crack at Test cricket, so it's hard to judge. But what we've seen, I think, a lot. Even in your point, I know 
spoke a lot about Moses Enriquez last week, and it's completely different, but, you know, his performance in the Champions Trophy, but, you know, he's got such a great record for New South Wales. We're seeing that Sheffield Shields standing probably isn't what it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. We know it's not what it was. So, therefore, players who are excelling at domestic level and doing well at Shield level aren't necessarily going to succeed straight away at international level. Um, so, we haven't really got a guise on what on what uh, Marcus Stoinis is, I guess, at test level yet. I just think he's batting at the top of the order for Victoria. He's bowling first or second change. He just seems to have a little bit more bowling yeah. skill than Cartwright. One player we didn't touch on was Stephen O'Keefe. He was left out after having a fairly successful tour to India. I mean, that's a big surprise for me. It's a sign of... Well, obviously, Steve, Stephen O'Keefe... Ashton Agar's come in. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it, in two, I mean Stephen O'Keefe's had some issues in the last six months which we spoke about before but it's a sign of I guess Cricket Australia in some ways looking to the future with Ashton Agar coming in I mean he's by far a younger option there are a couple I think we go to Pakistan in a year and a half or sorry Dubai in a year and a half to play Pakistan so maybe they're starting to look forward to that next cycle now and whether Stephen O'Keefe would still be you know, I guess young enough to, to, for that tour in, in a year and a half's time Naomi have you seen Socky around apart from at the presentation night I actually haven't seen him since. Yeah, I haven't, haven't seen him in the office at all. So um, He's laying pretty low at the moment. Yeah, well, I don't... Yeah, I'm not sure if he's allowed to be uh, around, to be honest. So, Oh, there you go. Well, I just think it's very strange, apart from all off-field stuff, that someone that was able to give mm. Smith a lot of control against India, he was able to keep the runs down, bowl a lot of overs, has been ditched for a tour of the subcontinent. So I just think it's a peculiar decision. It would have been weird, you know, looking from the P- PC sort of angle, it would have been weird for them to pick him for Bangladesh when he's still suspended for... And I know yeah, that but, was a cricket. But Hones didn't say that. That's the problem. No. Hones came out and said it was about cricket. Now, come out and say, look, he's suspended for New South Wales. He wasn't considered for selection be transparent but they're saying you know you can't have double jeopardy you can't be yeah so uh, anyway so that's that's big controversy Nick on next week's show we are going to go through all the news items I've got a uh, couple of journos in so we'll, we'll go into depth with a few of those things but now I want to move on to the Women's World Cup a very exciting event is about to start this weekend Australia go in as favorite so I guess we're all pretty excited about Australia perhaps winning back-to-back Women's World Cups. But I want to start with something that I wouldn't say it's mad manners, but it's slightly mad manners because I was listening to another podcast, The Analyst with Simon Hughes and Simon Mann, and they displayed something which I think comes across a lot. And I want to ask Naomi about this. It's kind of a sort of a condescension towards women's cricket. They sort of said that women's cricket contrasts to men's cricket and that everyone's so nice and the camaraderie so strong and... I just don't know if that's true. When I've been around the women's teams, they seem to me the same as men's teams. I, I can't see any difference. Can you, Naomi? Well, these people saying that women's cricket is nice, have they ever played women's cricket? Yeah. <laughs> like, it... If it's if it's a, a, a male's point of view, then they actually haven't put them, themselves in that kind of environment. So I think... It is a bit strange, I think, if they're they're making those kind of statements. Um, they they weren't too bad. I will, I don't want to throw those guys under the bus because it's an example <laughs> of that sort of underlying condescension. And I think what I've seen is the women's crickets are just as competitive, and I'm sure within the team, it's just as just like any men's team. You have players that get on, you have rivalries, you push each other along. Yeah, well, coming from New South Wales, I think everyone is always trying to be the best and they're trying to be the best for themselves. And there there are some 
at moments you're competing for a spot in the team just to play for your state and uh, I think that's good if you're playing in a competitive state then you're going to bring out the best in everyone so if that's the way it's going to be that we're going to create really good cricket and it's fierce on the field isn't it yeah, I was going to say, uh, name is probably a better place to answer it, but having spent a fair bit of time around women's cricket and covering a bit of women's cricket, there's plenty of uh, rivalries there. I mean, maybe it doesn't get the same hype as a Smith v. Virat Coley kind of thing, but there's plenty of people who don't like each other. I mean, I don't imagine one name people that don't like each other, but that, that, that would be right, wouldn't it, Naomi? Yeah, well, you wouldn't want to step on the wrong toes of anyone. Um, I think, especially going up against certain players, if someone doesn't like you, they're probably going to tell you, um, and... I think that's the way sport should be. Mm. Uh, you're always going to get a, a good rivalry. We all, we've always got a good chat with Queensland whenever we play against them. So I think that's great. It's competitiveness and that's sport. And that's what I think it's really going to come out in this upcoming World Cup is the fiercely competitiveness of the international teams now and a really high standard of cricket and an improvement since the last World Cup. So to all those people over there that think it's all tea and scones for women's cricket, it <laughs> certainly isn't. In great news, Fox Sports will be broadcasting all of Australia's pool matches live, plus the semi-finals and finals. In a first for women's cricket, some of the matches will feature DRS, the decision review system. That's fantastic. The prize money has increased tenfold from a $200,000 total prize fund to a $2 million total prize fund. So we're seeing a huge growth in the women's game. Is that something as a female player that you notice, Naomi? Of course, it's in our um, conversations, I think, all the time, and it's something that we have something to work for now. I think, like, we've always had something to work for. To win a World Cup is, you know, the pinnacle, it's the dream. But to be recognised from the ICC, um, you know, as female cricketers and female athletes, I think it's, it's really special and for them to be, you know, investing in our achievements, I think that's great as well. So, you know, it's it's only going to get bigger and better from here. A big boost for you, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be great. You're coming along at the right time. <laughs> I would like to see actually DRS come into the Big Bash and the Women's Big Bash next summer. As a WBBL player, would you like to see a DRS in in the, those big games? Yeah, I think I think so, but I I do think that DRS may take away from um, the umpire's role um, on the field. I think that they do quite a good job. There are a few decisions that obviously can be a little bit controversial and it could determine whether it's a win or a loss. And I think that's hard, but that's cricket and the umpires are there to do a job. And I think they're, they're working really hard to keep the, the umpires on their toes and um, really improve the level that they're at. That's it's, interesting, actually. It's a tricky one because... Like the the competitor in me, not that I play this that, that level, but the competitor in me says, well, you always want the right decisions and you want the right team to win. So therefore, there should be DRS. And we saw um, the Sixers were very strong on that following their semi-final win over the Heat from memory in the last, last Big Bash. But then at the same time, I think the appeal of the Big Bash, whether it's WBBL or the BBL, is that you get people going to games who aren't necessarily cricket fanatics like us. And you know, the game slowing down for three minutes while there's a decision isn't what they want or need. Like, I, I know that when I look at the success of the Big Bash, I look at people who go to games who aren't cricket fans and what that's doing for our sport. I just imagine the whinging that we'd get for three to five minutes or three minutes of hot spot and this and that. And I don't think they care. I don't think they care if the ball pitches in line with the stumps or not. I just think the runouts is a big thing. If it's a, if it's a close call and a run out and it's make or break, I think that's where, you know, go to the third umpire. But 
DRS, I, I don't think it's quite necessary for such a quick game. You guys don't have that umpire for most of WBBL games? Um, not for the live stream ones. For any televised game, we do. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, there's only so many, so... There'll be more, don't worry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Now, for the Women's World Cup, it's a great format. It's an eight-team round-robin competition, so they all play each other once, and then the top four go through to the semi-finals. The eight competing nations are Australia... England, New Zealand, Pakistan, South Africa, India, Sri Lanka, and the West Indies. I like this round-robin format. They're now making the Men's World Cup in 2019 a 10-team round-robin format. Bales, do you like that change? Yeah, I mean... I mean, the, the criticism is they're not allowing as many smaller nations in. But as a format for finding the best team, a round-robin does seem to do that. Yeah, I, you know, my personal preference is actually going back to what we had back in 99 for the men's, which was the Super 6 stage. But anyway, they're not going to go there. So, I see you roll your eyes. You didn't like that at all. No, no, I was eating there yeah. for the 99 bet, World Cup. Fond memories. But <laughs> my, my issue with that is, with this format, is you could have some really dead games towards the back end of it. I know you get that with any round-robin format, but I can just imagine, you know... I don't want to be rude to any of these teams. Maybe like a Sri Lanka v Pakistan not exactly producing a great game towards the end of the tournament because it's 6 v 7th and really who cares? Yeah, I just think it allows the cream to rise to the top. What do you think, Naomi? Do you like it? Um, well, I I agree having perhaps Sri Lanka and Pakistan being able to compete at that level. Um, you know, I've played against Sri Lanka and they're, they, they've got potential to be um, you know, a good team in the future, and I think having them there playing against the best teams in the world, you know, the likes of England, New Zealand, West Indies, who have some of the best players in the world, you know, aside from Australia, for them to be playing against those those teams and those players, I think it's an incredible journey for them. It's so, growing the women's yeah, game, yeah, and as well. it 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 provides potential to you know tour in those countries, and I think. If you're going to bring more out of this, the country and out of the I world, agree. I think that's I guess great. They guaranteed seven games now, aren't they? Whereas under a round, like a champions trophy they format, get they, a couple of games they get a couple. Going home. Yeah, that's true. Bit of bad weather and you're that's it. out of it. Yeah, <laughs> like the Aussies found out. Yeah. Now Australia has dominated the women's World Cup like they've dominated the men's World Cup. Australia have won six out of the ten World Cups played. England have won three and New Zealand have won one. This is a very strong Australian squad full of stars, skippered by Meg Lanning. Now, I've looked through the squad and my feeling is it's a really strong batting squad, this Australian squad. Maybe the strongest ever Australian women's team with batting, but the fast bowling may be the only area that could let them down. Obviously, they've got Belinda Vakawira to um, potentially make her debut. So she's a young New South Wales player, is that correct? Yes. So I think Scott she's... Bailey coached junior, might I add too. Really? Yeah, so well, she's young, yeah. she's, young up despite that, she's <laughs> she's um she's a she's a great athlete, and I, I do think she's got the potential to, Would to she do be the well. Quickest in the squad? Um, I, th- I definitely think she's up there with Pez coming back as a bowler. Um, after having a slight break from bowling, I think it's she's she brings the experience. And um, Megan Short, she's always been a, a great asset asset to the team. So, but I think someone to really look out for is definitely Sarah Ailey. I think if, she, mm. if they give her the ball, then I think she's actually she's got the talent and the drive to, and the passion to really take a game away. So, I I don't think their bowling attack is is that negative. I think they've got some 
a good variety of different players and Great. Yeah. What about Ailey's strength? Is she like a, a stump to stump? She's a sort of medium quick. Is she sort of a stump to stump bowl or how, what sort of style would you say? Does um, she hit a length? Yeah, she'll just hit knee roll, I think. And that's that's her, her strength, just mm. hitting that consistent length. And that's what she works for every single training session. And she's one of the hardest working players in the squad. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, so, it's amazing to see her in that squad. I'll tell you another player... Um, Amanda yeah. J. Wellington. Um, I remember leggy. she, she's leggy. I remember she made an Australian debut oh, maybe two summers back then. I just remember Actually, her no, it was Women's Big Bachelor yeah. last summer in the first year. Everyone was raving about a female Shane Warne. Yeah, that's exactly. I was going to say that. Gilly labelled her the female Shane Warne, and she, she took a wicket with her first ball for Australia up in Coffs Harbour from memory. She, she's a real talent. She'd only be, was she 19? Um, about that, I reckon. Yeah, I think 19 or 20. Yeah, so perhaps. she's she's a real talent going forward. Because Kristen, Kristen Beams would be... Have you faced um, Amanda Jade Wellington, Naomi? Um, yeah, I've faced her in both um, WNCL and WBBL. Um, and do you think she's got it to succeed at international level? Um, oh, well, she's actually a player that I enjoy facing. So I think, yeah, she's she's done well <laughs> to get herself up to that level. I, I think they, they've had their eye on her for a few years and being able to let her, um, you know, enjoy playing a, a bit of state cricket and in the 2020s as well. And for her to be going to a World Cup, I think that's great. And, you know, it's good for her to be a, a leg spinner and following in, say, uh, Beamsy's footsteps, really. So, yeah, Beamsy's, she's a uh, more senior player. So I think for Wellington to be, you know, kind of learning from her, that's really great. That's good. She's very confident young Wellington too, isn't she? Yeah, <laughs> Definitely think so. Now, I want to take a quote from James Buckley, who wrote in the Sydney Morning Herald, James is coming on next week, and he wrote that veteran Alex Blackwell has declared Captain Meg Lanning the best batter she has ever seen. She averages over 52 in 57 one-day innings. In those 57 innings, she scored 10 centuries and 10 fifties. So is she the best women's player ever? What do you think, Naomi? For her to be the Australian captain, she obviously has to lead from the front. And I definitely think she has done that. She's a very good player. She works hard and, man, she hits the ball sweet. So I think she knows what her strengths are and that's how she scores her runs. But is she somewhere like when you're, you know, when you're out watching a really good player and you're around them and you just go, wow, they just blow your mind away. She liked that when you're out there and the way she hits the ball and the way she attacks. Yeah, well, I've always played in a team where we've wanted to get on top of her, and there was a sledging. game. Sledging? Does she? How does she cope with sledging? Uh she's not someone that you're going to sledge. I don't think. I think she's probably that person that you'll you sledge them and then they'll go on to score a hundred, but. She's just one of those players who will just build their innings and she'll, you know, take a game apart, I think. So she did get, she, she scored a, a impressive 100 for Victoria, you know, three seasons ago that, you know, I played in that game. So it's just one of those things. If, she, if she's not getting out, you're not going to get, you're not going to get her out. So yeah, she's amazing. But yeah. I've got a theory. Now I'm going to throw this both at you, Bales. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. I think actually the best batsman in the world is Elise Perry. Now, she started off as a bowler, so her record is tainted by the fact that many of her international innings were as a bowler. But I've just isolated her stats from the year 2013 to now. So in the last 27 one-day internationals, Elise Perry is averaging 87 with the bat. 
I mean, it's an amazing average. In the same period, Meg Lanning has averaged 58, so it's at almost 30 points better. I would actually think that Elise Perry is the best player in the world right now. It's hard to argue with those stats. I mean, I, I mean, after four years of sustained brilliance, I would argue, and I don't have the figures in front of me. I wish I'd done my research. That um, that would be higher than anyone in the men's or women's game, to be honest, for the last four years of international cricket. See, I always look, when I watch Lanning and Perry bat, I, I think that personally, I think that La, uh, Lanning, technically speaking, is a is a better bat. I mean, they're both wonderful bats, but I always think Lanning's technique is so strong and it's just so correct. Whereas Perry hits the ball, I think it's probably to say, uh, you know, probably a bit harder. That they're very different kinds of bats. In my opinion, I think opinion. I'd have it around the other. Yeah, way. I would have it. Yeah, I think Perry seems to play within herself a bit. Yeah, I think. Um, Pez is by far one of the hardest working bats women going around. You know, she's hitting balls pretty much every single day. And her technique is just sometimes it, it's faultless. I, you know, I watch her bat in the nets and it's, you know, it's just impressive. And then for her to take on, you know, when she takes it out on the field, it's, it's I think she's world class. There's the, Her work ethic is world class. And is she someone that inspires you and other New South Wales players seeing, seeing the way she's dedicated herself to cricket? Well, yeah, definitely, especially going out to bat with her is, you know, an honour in itself, especially when you, you're batting with someone like that. You've got them at the other end and you probably don't feel any pressure at all knowing that she's at the other end with you. And a lot of the time she'll bat an innings out and, you know, end up with a, a really, really good score. So she is someone that... I think everyone looks up to. They have for many years. You know, she's been in the New South Wales squad and the Australian squad for pretty much her whole career. So, um, yeah, she's she's one of the best. I definitely think she's world class. So Australia's batting lineup is chock full of stars. Mm-hmm. You've got Lanning, Perry, then you've got Elise Villani. He's got a big century in the lead up. Yep. Ashley Gardner, a young New South Wales player. Elisa Healy, who has done so well at the top of the order for the Sixers, your bitter rival, Naomi. <laughs> um, who else have I missed? Alex Blackwell, your ca- is she the captain out of the Thunder? Yeah, oh, well, I think um, Alex and Midge, sorry, Healy, I think they're unlucky to be up the order. But if they've, you know, if they're backing, you know, people like Villani, Bolton, um, Mooney, if they're backing those players to be up the order as they're top four um and then you've got your hitters coming in later megan pears and yeah i think they definitely have a lot of people who could take up those top four spots and i think they're alex and elisa healy are two very unlucky people i think for them i i put them i would put them in my top four so you think alex blackwell and elisa healy will be down the order six seven coming in after the rest yeah. yeah, what they've done lately. The way yeah. the top order's batting, they might not get a... That's the way they've been, I think. So. Yeah. What's Elise Villani like? She comes across as such a vibrant person and so outgoing. Um, she's also, you know, very talented batsman, done so well for the Scorchers. She's someone that probably could sort of fly under the radar but have a really strong World Cup. Yeah, I think she's one of those people who, again, can take the game away, I th- you know she she'll hit the sweepers and then hit the big shot when she needs to and she builds her innings like that and i i think the way that she approaches the game is that she doesn't want to think about it too much she just wants to go out there and bat and i think that's kind of the perfect mold that you want for one of your top order top order bats yeah you like that do you do you overthink the game what's your approach to that sort of tinkering Um, with your technique and oh i think whenever you go into a new season you you 
start to overthink everything. You go back to kind of square one. But I think with the the way that, you know, the female game is going, we are training more and, you know, there's that less time of a break. So you're not really going back to square one. So there's time to kind of break your technique down, but also build on what you've already been working on. Baz, I can't imagine you overthinking your technique too much. Oh, I do. That's the problem, mate. <laughs> Different trigger <laughs> movements all the time. LBW every single time playing across the line. Uh, so it's going to be a really big tournament. Uh, the Australia's seven matches start on the 26th of June. Against The first game is against the West Indies at Taunton. And then fittingly, the final is at Lords on July 23rd. I think it's going to be a real... Red letter day for women's cricket, that final at Lords. Top picks? What are you going for? Well, that's what I wanted to talk about now. Who do I think will give Australia the biggest trouble? I mean, obviously the home side, England, look very strong. Uh, Heather Knight and Sarah Taylor at the top of the order. Mm. Uh, New Zealand uh, won World Cup two World Cups ago. and they, uh, They've been quite strong in the T20 game. I mean, those two really are the only two I can see winning it apart from Australia. Yeah, I think New Zealand are the dark horse going into this. I think they've got some of the best all-rounders in the world. and uh, But then, you know, West Indies, they're yeah. a very, very strong team. Yeah, I'm just not sure the West Indies have it for the 50-over yeah. game. They seem to be better in the T20. They might surprise you, though. Yeah, I remember seeing Dotton yeah. smash the sixes. Deandra Dotton, the West Indies mm. uh, batsman, smash the sixes all over the place at North Sydney Oval and spoke to her afterwards and she was really strong. Like she yeah. gives the ball a real whack. So uh, New Zealand though have a, a good seam bowling attack. Yeah. So on the English wickets, they could be effective. Uh, the, the English team have a lot of pressure on them being at home. I think they work well playing at home though. They always, um, I, I think they always have a, a strong performance playing on their own you know, home turf. So I was looking at India because I mean, obviously, India came out here two summers ago and made pretty made pretty tough going for Australia. Um, but then I was looking at their record in England. I think they've lost something like their last five ODIs on English decks. So, so maybe not. Australia does have a good record in England as well. You know, I think we've we won the Ashes last time we were over there, didn't we? I'm yeah. pretty sure names. Yeah, yes, we did. And we did. Yep, yeah. yeah. and we also. Looking at it, I think there's something like one of the last four or something, last four ODIs over there as well. So Australia has a good record on those pitches. And I think it's probably fair to say the Australian women's team has a far better record in England than the Australian men's team. We we seem to always well, compare that's that. <laughs> no, that's true. But we seem to compare that every every time the Ashes yeah. is on. We go, geez, the, the girls are going I really mean, England good. are trying to say Australia's a fa- Australia are favourites to take the pressure off them. Mm, mm. So the, the, I think those two, with perhaps New Zealand, yeah. Australia, England, New Zealand, the winner will come from those three. Who's your tip, Naomi? I'm Australia. I would love to see Australia win, but if I was to pick my second, I think it's going to be New Zealand. So it starts this weekend. Can't yeah. wait. Uh, we'll be following the tournament throughout on the podcast and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about many famous Australian victories. All right, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Naomi Stallenberg. Stalaker mid-wicket, pushing in closely. Can she get it through that? Oh, oh no! no! Disaster. Could be a run out. Oh, oh, it's all over. That's it. It's all over. The Thunder have won. Oh. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. Manners here with Scott Bailey and Naomi Stallenberg from the Thunder. 
And that was a very good memories for you, Naomi. That was when the Sydney Thunder won the initial WBBL. And it, it seemed like to me that when uh, that happened, no one was really sure if the game was over yet. Did you guys know on the sideline that you'd won the WBBL? Uh, we were kind of standing there watching and trying to figure out what just happened. But I think, like, we knew that, you know, the game was over. We'd gotten the runs but we didn't know if we could run on the field. So we kind of like just like standing there jumping around, you know, looking at each other. And then, you know, a few of us started running on there. So, but special moment, unbelievable. Yeah, memory you'll cherish forever, I imagine. Definitely. Now, I've got a quote here, Naomi, that that I've taken from the Daily Telegraph. This is something you wrote. It has been nearly a year on from the announcement of the Women's Big Bash, and it's been a really crazy ride. Can you describe for the listeners what this crazy ride has been like? Um, well, the journey is very full on. Uh, from start to finish of the WBBL, pretty much you finish your, well, it's going into a, a sandwich competition, but when you go from your, your state squad and then you go into your franchise, you pretty much only have like a week turnaround. So it's pretty much full on from there you go straight into training and pretty much game mode and you have to switch from one day cricket to 2020 straight away so it's it's just a it's a very full-on journey but it's amazing what's the change been like from say before the wbbl i mean you play the wncl and then that was it and now you've got a whole other competition to compete in yeah well we used to play so on the weekend of the rounds, we'd play a, a, a 2020, a WNCL game and another 2020. So it was pretty much you just play for your state. And I'm, I'm glad that they've decided that, you know, they still see a lot in one day cricket and we get to still represent our state because that's what you pretty much dream of. But now you've got the excitement of the WBBL and you get to represent a franchise and it's something new. It's something vibrant, something exciting. And so... The WBBL has been a huge success, but going into that first summer, what was the feeling like around the playing group? Was there some nerves that perhaps this wasn't going to take off? We, what was the feeling like of because you know everyone was so uncertain and it was arranged so quickly? What was that first those first few moments like? Oh, well, with the chat going around, you know, no one really knew because they said, "Oh, we're going to start it up," and no one really knew if it was going to happen and uh, then all of a sudden they were like yep it's happening uh, pretty much get ready for the change and it's just one of those things there was a way that cricket needed to go and definitely for the female game but but were the players confident? There were. I was going to say I know for a fact there were a few players with some reservations about it weren't there that they were concerned yeah. I mean obviously you were putting women's cricket obviously hadn't had the TV exposure at a domestic level and all of a sudden you were expanding the number of teams but giving it TV exposure at that point. There were a few players concerned, but obviously it's it's worked out gangbusters. There were a few concerned people, um, but I think they had the men's game to look at. I think the the, the BBL, the success that the, the BBL had, they had that to look at and think, yeah, I think, you know, we can definitely do this. And that's the way it went. And I think they'll Vindicated, definitely, yeah. definitely happy One of the, the real change. success stories of Australian cricket. Yeah. So how has this rapid growth changed the way you think about being a professional women's cricketer? It's just rewarding. It's definitely rewarding, I think. Coming up through club cricket, going to play underage state cricket, and then being able to do this as a profession. 
it's unbelievable. Think about some people who've got normal jobs. They catch a train at work every day. I bet some of your friends are jealous, envious. Um, oh, I think they're all quite happy with what they're doing. Um, <laughs> they're, they see uh, you training and yeah, getting up and running around laps. Yeah, no. Nah, going to bed early on a Saturday night. Oh, that is definitely me, big grandma. <laughs> but no, I've got a few friends who are like teachers, accountants, um... They're, they're all happy doing what they're doing and it's just it's always been my dream and they know that so yeah I think the the training's full-on but you you love it you get to go and run outside every single day and be working towards something you know, I mean you're in the situation where you're part of the New South Wales team that is fully professional sponsored by Lendlease yep. and the Thunder so what a great situation I mean full-time cricketer no I was gonna say like you spoke about the fact, obviously, that you won the first WBBL and how much that meant straight away to play for Thunder. But you've also won a few WNCL titles as well. Can you compare yeah. the two? Like, how do you compare winning that first WBBL to winning, you know, your umpteenth straight yeah. WNCL? Which is the 50 over. Well, I oh. wish, I honestly wish that you could be able to have that big celebration of like the WBBL for the WNCL. I think that there should be this big the streamers come down and mm. that kind of thing play on the big grounds for the final but unfortunately we're just not we're not there yet and it's like it's a little bit heartbreaking but being a part of the New South Wales breakers um you know 10 in a row uh you know I was there for I think I've been there for three titles now and yeah it's unbelievable to see where the game's gone and I yeah I honestly wish that the WBBL and the WNCL kind of had the same. Yeah, there wasn't um, such a big gap between yeah, the exposure. Yeah, the, no. I know. Like I've been to a couple of WNCL finals for the 50 over game, and the presentation is like it's the equivalent of you or I winning great cricket. Maybe. Yeah, like it really is. Like, and I don't mean that in yeah. every way, but the reality is, two teams line up. The captain comes up, takes the trophy, says, "Thanks, guys. It was a great game." There's no microphone. It's just a, and there's no backing or anything like that. Yeah. And the photo is done. You know, with Hurstville Oval in the background rather than the MCG or whatever. To be it's fair, just... that's not a big gap from the Matador Cup. The, the no, that's time. true. That's, that's true. But <laughs> so they're both in a, a bad position. More... Well, I think they wanted the Matador Cup to be on the smaller grounds to have that presence mm. of a crowd. So, But I think the Matador Cup is done a little bit um, a little bit, you know, more vibrant compared yeah. to the WNCL. They, they do try and get people at their games, whereas I, I don't know if we're doing enough to get people at our games. Yeah, I, I remember being at the game... Where South Australia actually ended a streak, and that was at Hurstville, and it was kind of like, and it was a, it was a really good game of cricket. It was actually a great game of cricket to watch. You made a late charge from memory to try and get the win back for the, the Breakers, but the the atmosphere there wasn't a hell of a lot different to what I see when I go down to Raby or or whatever and watch you know first grade Campbelltown play first grade Penrith in women's cricket. Yeah. Um, whereas at least in the Matador mm. Cup, the final has an atmosphere. So, about so it. going from that then a WNCL to what's been the women's big bash. How have you coped with the extra pressure, the extra exposure, obviously media commitments? How's that been for you as a you know young woman growing up? Um, I enjoy that that part of it. I would love for it to be the same across the boat, like you know, both teams. I think if they if if a little girl sees you know the New South Wales Breakers and you know they get really excited, I think that's just as good as seeing you know the Sydney Thunder, Sydney Sixers. Because um, the, the the young kids are really excited when they see you in your thunder uniform and yeah well at the end of the day we want more kids playing sport and more kids playing cricket but how has the extra attention affected you i think as an athlete you're always going to you know suffer from a bit of pressure i i think that the biggest pressure 
there is is probably myself, you know, putting pressure on myself. So, so you but, don't let outside pressures sort of affect you? A lot of the time if you're on the on a field and there's, you know, a big crowd, sometimes I don't really notice the crowd. Um, I'm too in, in, indulged in the game, I yeah, think. Yeah, invested, so, you're focused. Yeah, um, too, I, yeah, I find the opposi- opposition a bit more intimidating than the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think of the media then, you know, media commitments, having to do interviews, all that stuff? Um, well, I think that's the way that the game is going, and I think it's great that we have that implemented in it, in our, in our team and in our squad, and uh, you know around the whole competition. I think it's good. Good. There's. Uh, what do you think about the name change from the Southern Stars to the Australian Women's Cricket Team? I I think I I think I like it, but then when I look at all the other sporting teams around Australia, they all have names. You know, you've got the the Hockeroos, yeah, yeah Socceroos, your Socceroos, you've got the the Opals, um, the Diamonds. They've all got names. And what about like why not change the men's team to have a name? Well, the men's, well, no, in fact, the men's team does have a name. They're the Aussies. That is the official nickname of the Australian men's cricket team. Is the, the Aussies. Aussies really? Yeah, that is that's pretty that's bad. That, but, but you're right. Like so, but like we're the Southern Stars. I don't know. What so else, what, what you're saying is, if I'm reading between the lines, you're not sure about it. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm unsure about it. Because I, what I think is this, it has no heart to it. Like, the Australian women's cricket team is very formal. Yeah. And despite not getting into issues about gender and all this, just it's a very sort of, you know, very straight name, whereas the Southern Stars had a brand to it. Yeah, well, I think the idea was that the, the men were the Australian men. And they wanted it to be the same, the Australian women. It's more but, professional, I guess. Yeah, I think when they're they're talking about it like that. Um, Have but, any of the players talked about it though? Uh, not since it's been changed. Gnomes, <laughs> when you were when you were say twelve years old, thirteen years old, and you started playing cricket and playing a bit of grade cricket, did you look at the Australian women's team as the Southern Stars? Did you identify with that as what you wanted to be, or did you want to? Did you see them as Australia? I think it's just it's always been the Australian team. Yeah, yeah so. that's I I still probably call it the Australian yeah. team. Yeah, Southern Stars is an affectionate. Nickname. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> now there has been a change of to of the cricket laws so that they are more gender neutral. The he has been taken out of the laws, but many old terms stay. The new code will include an increased use of generic nouns like fielder and bowler, and use he slash she when required. Now, Christina Matthews, the chief, chief executive of the Wacker Cricket Association, said that words such as batsman, third man and twelfth man disrespect half the population. And in my view, there's no common sense reason why the terms can't be changed. I think it's just something people have held on to. So, Naomi, as a female player, is this something that um, you think needs to be changed? Or is it just something that media and campaigners like to sort of draw up to feel like they're boosting gender equality, whereas it's not a big issue? I mean, what, what, give me a, a feeling of, from a female player. Uh, I think some people probably have a bit too much time on their hands to be thinking <laughs> about this. Um, I just want to play cricket. That's, that's my bottom line. Um, it's the way that society's gone. You know, what but- do you guys say to each other? Third man, do you go third woman down there? Or? No, it's always been the third man is it's a fielding position. Yeah. It's, it's it's like no man's land. Like you, you know, like you. You third, don't put gender man, on that title, do you? Twelfth man well, doesn't jump we, out. We wouldn't you really sexist. say twelfth man. We just say twelfth. I think, um, and batter. 
batsmen, batter. We've always, yeah. But third man's a fielding position. I don't really have a problem with that. I think there's a lot of, um, from the outside perspective, I think there's a lot of things that need to be sorted as far as promotion of the women's game go before, uh, yeah. before, before like, that's the priority. Go to you know promoting the game instead of trying to change the rules. Like I, I, I think it's just putting too much time and effort into the wrong thing. Would that ever change too? Like, in, <laughs> like let's say, like, so they change these rules. Are you... Are you personally, are you going to refer to it as a batter, whether it's a male or female player? I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I think Naomi's on to something that sometimes I think you get we get too involved yeah. in this stuff. But I, I think the way the world is moving, we'll slowly see these eventually, fade out. Eventually, I think, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and last question, Naomi, before I get you out the hot, hot seat. Yep. Uh, the, the MOU discussion is very much in the news at the moment. Your pass of part of the New South Wales Lend-Lease Breakers. Yep. What happens to you guys after June 30th? Do you still train or have you, is that it? Do you just, they lock the doors and you're out? Um, there was talk there was going to be a bit of a lockout, but at the moment we're still going to keep training. They don't want to stop any cricket and I think that's the way it should be. Um, you know, the MOU is getting sorted between Cricket Australia and the ACA and they're the key stakeholders, you know, involved. So, um, the players are going to keep doing, you know, keep doing business, and I think that's the way it, it should stay. What, what about Kevin Roberts? He's been around speaking to all the players. He obviously spoke to you guys. How was that? Um, yeah, I think it was just clarifying what their offer was. Um, there, it wasn't a very long presentation. <laughs> <Do you, laughs> wasn't much to it. As like as a player, do you like? In, obviously, you're not over in England, mate. But do you pay much attention to it? Because I feel like the general public is kind of like over this like as a player do you actually pay a lot of attention to all this or are you just interested once the final result is done um i don't really want to think about it too much i just want to worry about cricket i think a lot of people are a bit like that and i think that's the way it should be we should just be worrying about what we're doing at training and on the park and in the nets and that's our job that's gonna that should be our job that's what we should be you know aiming for and all, all the the media behind it i think it's just a, a big cloud and it shouldn't be there yeah, well, it's coming from both sides. Yeah. This podcast was part Definitely of the is. propaganda war. The ACA took oh my, my interview with Lisa Stalaker and wrote an article. So uh, there you go. Have you heard from CA about that? No, I haven't, but that's all right. <laughs> so thanks so much, Naomi. It was re- I'm really glad we got to talk to you about and give us an insight into what the women's game is like. No worries. Thanks. Now, Thank um, you. thanks. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, but before we do that, we've got the Have a Go Your Mug promotion. To go through the rules, if you leave a review on iTunes for the show or whatever app you listen to the show and then email me, you will go in the drawer for a Have a Go Your Mug mug. I gave Naomi her mug. She's already Excited. for that one. <laughs> um, if that is too complicated, you can sign up on Patreon for $5 a month or more and you'll get a mug straight away. So three entrants have gone in the mug this week. We've got Hangman, Steve, and Mike from Boston, my favourite place in America. Now, as Naomi is our guest, I'm going to get her to draw out the winner. Hangman1933. And what has he written? A really entertaining and informative podcast that all cricket followers should subscribe to. Well done, guys. Brilliant. I never miss it. Thank you, Hangman, and send me your address and your mug will be sent out. Now, if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Gmail, auscricketpod, auscricketpod at gmail.com. That's also our Twitter and Instagram handle, at auscricketpod. You can find us on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. And remember, if you've got any questions or feedback, send it in for our listener mail segment. 
And we'll be back in a moment with the final segment of What's Made Us Happy in the Week of Cricket. Here he goes big on this occasion. Is it going to go all the way? Yes, it is. Listen to the crowd. Perry decides to go again. She's going to try and take on mid-on, and she wins that as well. So a six at the start of the over. This time, a four. Advances again, and this one's through the covers. That's four more. What an over. Terrific exhibition of batting by Elise Perry. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was the world's best women's batsman in action, and that was Mel Jones and our very own Gav Joshi commentating. Now, we're going to end this week's show with what's made us happy in the week of cricket. Now, I'll start with you, Bales. What's made you happy in the week of cricket? Loved seeing Mohamed Amir's spell against India on uh, on Sunday night in the Champions Trophy final. I mean, obviously, he's had his issues, Mohamed has, and he's had his detractors, but, geez, it was just a reminder of how good he can be. And, you know, and he's still got such a long career ahead of him. Um, you got no reservations about him being, you know, banned for match fixing, oh, like spot obvi- fixing. Like obviously it was very bad, but and I'm not defending his actions for a second. Not for but you a- can forgive. Yeah, I just think he was in. It was a 19 year old kid at the time. I mean, he he's done his time, and if you obviously, I mean, I'm not defending those actions for a second. But if you just look at his skill alone, uh, the game of cricket is better for, for watching him bowl because he he just does some great things with the ball. Um, and we saw that on, on Sunday against India. Now, I've got two things that have made me very happy in the week of cricket. The first one is the just general buzz around this Women's World Cup. I just love the fact that it's getting more exposure and you can just tell the growth from four years ago is amazing. And I think the Women's Big Bash League has been integral in that, in knowing so many of the Australian players, knowing so many of the, the foreign uh, players that have come in, the imports, uh, we had Harman Preku who played for the um, Thunder. We had um, Marizana Cap playing for the Sixers. All these great players that we now know, we get to see in the Women's World Cup. So I think the growth in the last four years has been amazing. I mean, Naomi, you might be in the next World Cup in four years. Imagine then. Oh, that's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> but my thing that's made me happy this week, really happy, and it's a little bit towards yours, Bales, it's Virat Kohli being embarrassed in the Champions <laughs> Trophy final. I mean, firstly, he gets dropped, and then he gets out the next ball. So he's effectively out two in two balls uh, in the in the biggest one-day game of the year. The one thing about Virat, though, he was a good loser at the end of it. He was very mm. gracious in complimenting the Pakistan side, but not so one Bollywood star, Kamal Khan. Now, I've got these tweets from Fox Sports. So thanks, Fox Sports. This is what... Kamal Khan tweeted after India's loss. Number one, all the players of the Indian team should be banned by government from playing cricket because they have sold themselves and the pride of India. Virat Kohli should be banned from playing cricket for lifetime for selling pride of Indians to Pakistan. He should be behind bars. Now that's pretty poor, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to get locked up for a failure in a one-day game, interesting and, statement. <laughs> and finally, he said people should throw eggs and tomatoes on play on players at the airport when they return from London because they are real deshdrohi who sold themselves. Now, I'm guessing that's an Indian swear word, so it might have offended <laughs> oh, um, no a idea. few people. <laughs> well, don't you wish the Thunder supporters were that passionate? <laughs> no. Well, yeah. So that's made me happy. It's a great win for Pakistan. India humbled. Virat Kohli embarrassed. Well, what more do you want? Eggs and tomatoes. Exactly. <laughs> well, Naomi and Scott, thanks so much for coming into the show this week. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Did you enjoy it, Naomi? Yeah, no, I love talking about cricket. So. Well, hopefully we'll get you back sometime. Maybe towards the end of the World Cup, we can have a chat again about it. Yep, have me back. Definitely. Thank you very much. Bales, thanks for coming in after the State of Origin. That's all right. That's Macca would never be here the day after such a late night. So you get full marks and you picked up Naomi. So Go the Blues. Yeah, go, go the Blues, blues indeed. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for downloading the show. I'll be back next week. We've got James Buckley and Rob Forsythe from AAP, Rob. the guy who's job you're after is cricket writer <laughs> don't say that and uh, we'll be going through all the headlines see you then what a marvellous stroke he's played no better shot than that in the whole of this series